I want to actually start out today just by saying thank you to so many of you who wrote cards or reached out or been praying for me and my family over the last couple weeks uh, when we heard about the sudden passing of my mom. So I really genuinely appreciate that. And I know that we felt a lot of the prayers. Um, and it kind of just got me to thinking about a lot of things with the week that I was gone. And then even the previous week, there had been some other ministry that I wasn't here at the church itself. But still stepping back and just watch everything run smoothly is really exciting. Like just to think about everyone's got their play. And so there's all these different leaders in different spots and volunteers in different spots. And it's not about one person. Like that excites me a lot that, you know what, it is all about Jesus and he's going to continue to have his church run. So that just makes me thrilled. And I just genuinely want to say thank you as we just start out. But having said that too, we also then jumped into last week, this idea of talking about storms in our sermon series. And Rick was able to bump up. We were going to talk about loss and grief at the end, but just switched it to where he was able to do that kind of kicking off this series. That was really timely for me, but not just for me. Like I heard a lot of people or conversations of people going, that was really really what I needed to hear. And sometimes even people talking about this idea of loss and grief, not even connected with a person as far as, you know, passing on. Like there's these situations in my life that I don't know that I would have been able to pinpoint that that was a loss or a grief that I've been feeling. But just being able to process that and see how Jesus went through that as well was super helpful. Today, the storm that we are talking about is addiction. All right, addiction. I'm just going to tell you right off the bat, it's kind of a deep sermon, all right? Um, And as I mentioned that word of addiction, I wonder, where does your mind go? Like, maybe you're like, well, this isn't going to be a sermon for me. Or maybe there's a person that you think of and you're like, oh, I wish they were here to be able to hear this sermon, you know, because there's just that thing going on in their life that immediately puts you in that spot when you're thinking about that word. Or even simply saying the word addictions, maybe there's certain ones that pop into your mind. Okay, I bet you we're gonna be talking about this this morning. Here's what I would tell you. Wherever your mind just went, I would encourage you to stay tuned because I am pretty sure there is something in here that God wants you to know as you walk out of these doors today or as you finish turning off the video later on. Like just go in, this is what he wants me to know, all right? Understand too that this topic is a big area. Like a lot of things fall under this umbrella and so there's no way that we can answer everything in one sermon. Also understand that people are struggling at different levels of addiction in this room and online. And so we're going to look at this very real storm but also look at the truth that God's word provides for us. Okay, so let's start out just talking about what exactly is an addiction, okay? That word, what is an addiction? The definition in the dictionary says, the state of being compulsively committed to a habit or practice or to something that is psychologically or physically habit-forming, okay? So this addiction, it is all about cravings and desires and something that happens again and again. And so there's a debate over, okay, an addiction that you have in your life, is it volunteerism or is it enslavement? What I mean by that is, is it something that I've made a choice to be part of or is it something that now I'm just in bondage to? And the answer can actually be yes, Like it could actually be both of those. There are certain addictions that come into our life because they are literally passed down from a generation to a generation. Like it is just part of your life then. But then there are others that are habitual sins that at some point we started. The idea that we made a choice and now the cycle seems to come again and again and again. And a lot of people don't understand when we're talking about addictions, the brain is actually affected and it's actually changed 
with almost every addiction that we have. You see, we all have certain parts of our brain that are kind of like a reward system, and they're meant to enforce behaviors that we need to survive. And so what happens is when we do those certain things, this chemical called dopamine is is released into your brain, and it gives you a jolt of satisfaction. And the purpose is so that, okay, I felt that. I'm going to go back and I'm going to do that activity again. Well, with certain addictions, the pleasure circuits in your brain can actually become overwhelmed because the amount of dopamine release can be up to 10 times as, as much as a natural release. Like some addictions can be that heavy. And so sometimes, though, what happens with addictions is we do the same activity again and again and again, and so less dopamine is actually released. And so we have to do more of whatever that activity was to get what we originally had with something small. And that's where addictions really come into play. And also when we do those activities again and again, it creates these new connections in our brain that actually re-hardwire the paths. And so essentially, without getting too scientific, the part of our brain that makes decisions is damaged when it comes to addictions. Okay, now there's all sorts of addictions, all sorts of, you know, addictions that people can fall into, and they also don't always start out as an addiction. Like sometimes it can be something healthy that then we just get too much into. So I want you to know that. I also want you to know, as I mentioned some of these, just because you're like, ooh, I like that, that doesn't mean that you're addicted to that. There could be pleasure that comes with that, but I want you to at least look at your life and go, is there something that has a stronghold in my life that maybe I've never really paid attention to? And so a lot of times when you say that word addiction, people think of this idea of drugs and alcohol, and it could even be prescription drugs. The idea that this is what I am drawn to, it gives me a high at the moment or it blocks out life when everything else is going on, and so I just choose to take those things. And so that is one addiction that people can fall into. Another one is the area of pornography or sexually acting out, or let's just say things associated with all that just because of our crowd. Like, just understand there's a lot of things that tie into that. And what happens is in that moment, we are trying to find pleasure, that jolt of, you know, just this release of excitement, but outside of the way that God designed it. And so sometimes we'll have to go more and more and more to get what we originally once started with. Sometimes addictions that people can fall into is the idea of gambling or even just spending money. And there's this high of, I have to win. And so it's so close. So I continue going because the next time I play, I'm going to win. Or the idea of spending money, I need to have stuff. And I collect stuff because it allows me this sense of security. And so it can become addictive. Also, we could talk about food. And you know, we talk about comfort food almost kind of in a joke, but there is. There's a spot when everything is going bad. Where do I turn? All I want to do is numb what is going on in my life. And so it can become an addiction. Man, a big addiction in our society, in our culture right now, is social media or even phones. And there's a lot of people like, no, it's not. Really? I don't know if you've ever watched uh, this show called The Social Dilemma on Netflix. I've been opened, my eyes were opened to that this week by the staff, so I watched that. Man, it's crazy to see the things that they purposely do to get you to coming back. Not necessarily to be addicted, but they continue to want you to come back so that way you'll be a customer and all these kind of things. And so, you know what? They started things like tagging photos. And so now you get an alert that, hey, someone has tagged you in a photo and you want to go see yourself in the photo. Or you think about you make a comment or something and you want to see how many people like that comment. So you're going to go back later on and find that out. Or you want to know what kind of compliments people are going to put on a picture or what they say compared to you, things like that. And some people are like, I know, but I've got control of it. Okay, let me just simply ask you, what's the first thing you grab in the morning? For a lot of people, it's their phone, and they immediately start scrolling through something. 
or the last thing they do at night is they scroll through something. And can I also just tell you that this is not just a problem with young people. Like I hear people say that sometimes, like you're so wrong. Like you just look at an airport and how many people are not paying attention to anybody else as they're just sitting there. In fact, in that uh, video that I watched, it said two industries that call their customers users are illegal drugs and software. Like, just think about this idea that we can be addicted to this idea of social media and our phones. And again, can you set it down for an hour without having to go and pick it up? Let's talk about relationships. Sometimes we can be addicted to like these obsessive relationships. We have to be with someone else because we don't feel worthy by ourselves. We don't feel confident. So we have to be, whether it's around a lot of people or specific people, like that is something that we're addicted to. Sometimes an addiction can be this idea of body image. And so the things that we eat, the amount that we eat or what we eat and then throw up because it's so important how we look. Or we can even go the flip side of working out. Like there's a spot to be able to work out, but there's also a spot where I'm working out because my image is so important to me that that has become like the biggest thing in my life. And so then the way we dress or the pictures that we take are all about body image and people saying comments about me or at least me liking myself. And so that can be an addictive behavior. We could talk about social image being addictive, the idea that my house has to be perfect, and my yard has to be perfect, and my cars have to be perfect, and my clothing has to be perfect, because I need everyone else to look at me a certain way. Or we could talk about work, that can be addictive, you know, how people see me, or the money that I'm able to earn, or the position that I hold, or even for myself, just the accomplishments, the achievements that I am able to do, like there is this jolt of excitement that comes with those things, and so it can become addictive. In fact, even this good thing of serving people for Jesus can become addictive. Like the idea that I'm serving people, but then it becomes about looking at me. Or I'm so excited about helping someone else that that trumps the idea that I'm doing this for Jesus. Like I can even do something like this in an addictive way. And sometimes I'm avoiding something at home, but like I just choose to do this in a way that is not healthy. And so those are just a few areas that jumped out to me this week. And I want you to know, even as I said those things, not all of those are bad as far as if you've got self-control. Hey, there's some, some pleasure here. I enjoy these things. You know what? Sometimes people, even at different stages of life, have time to do different things. You know what? If you have five kids at home, you have not nearly as much time as when the kids are out of the house. There's just a differing amount of things like that. But just thinking about these idea of, of addictions, what do we do with all this? Like, man, it could almost be overwhelming. And there's a lot of self-help books out there to help with addictions. There's programs with certain steps that are supposed to help you. Okay, for this sermon, just thinking about where is it that we're going to start as we look for answers. As we're trying to actually rewire our brains to a place that is healthy. That we're trying to, man, any of those addictions that have gripped me, we're trying to lessen that grip. One of the, one of the sayings that I came across this week said this. Learning how to navigate between the negative reality of addiction and the life-changing reality of God's love is sometimes a difficult dance. Like, man, I look over here and this addiction seems like it's got me, but I also look over here and I know that God's love has power to do amazing things. So it can sometimes be tough to, to kind of walk through this, but know that it can be done. And so today there's eight areas of emphasis that we're looking at with God's truth, okay? The first one is this. With addictions, we need to understand that it is not a quick fix, all right? It is not a quick fix. Sometimes if you are a family member of the person who is addicted or you just know the person, you're a friend of the person who is addicted, sometimes you can just stand back and go, man, why do they keep making those choices? Like, can't they just see how this hurts their life and just choose something differently? 
Except the answer is sometimes they can't. Like genuinely, they can't see the choices that they're making. I was also um, kind of uh, awakened to a Bob Newhart skit this last week. And what happens is he's playing this, um, you know, counselor and someone comes in to talk to him. They, <clears throat> they start telling him about all their problems and he simply says, stop it. And so then they keep saying other things and he continues for five minutes just to say, stop it, stop it, stop it. And you understand that there's no truth behind that. Like that's not how things work. And so I think it's important for us to understand even the science behind this, not to give us an excuse. Well, you know what? My brain is just rewired. This is the way I'm going to be. That's not what I'm saying at all. But it's also important just to understand that it's not just the quick fix that sometimes we think it should be. Let me also flip it. If you're not the family member, but you're the one who is struggling with, with whatever addiction that it is, understand that that desire will not just automatically go away like that. Now, is there a chance? Absolutely. I'm not putting Jesus in a box. Like there are those stories where he comes and that addiction is gone and you have never feeling that whatsoever again. But man, there are also a lot of stories where people have to daily choose against a past addiction. And so I want you to realize that we need to make sure that we're not minimalizing addictions because they are serious, all right? But it's not a quick fix. Here's the second thing I would tell you about addictions. We need to evaluate when and where, all right? When and where do I find these addictions kind of playing out in my life? And so addictions, they want you to choose something out of habit, not a conscious thought. It's almost like a reflex instead of a choice. Like you're in a situation and boom, that's what happens. That's what addictions want. And so when you're not in that state of being driven by that addiction, could you take a step back and try to figure out when and where is it that I'd turn to those things? Is there a time? Is there a place? Is it after something specific happens? And if the answer is yes, can we look to avoid some of those situations? Can we set up certain boundaries? In Matthew chapter 5, verses 29 and 30, Jesus says this, If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. And like, you may hear that and go, man, that seems really drastic. But can you hear the seriousness that Jesus addresses sin with? It's like, we need to stay away from this as much as we can. And so in this area of addictions, we need to try to set up boundaries when we can make the choice. And so let's just say that pornography is the struggle. Have you told anyone? Like, do you have an accountability partner? You know, students, do you have a parent that you have told, this is what I'm struggling with? You know, maybe a boundary is that before you sleep, you're not clicking through the channels or you're not scrolling through your phone or your phone stays out in the kitchen as you sleep or you delete certain apps off your phone because every time you go on there, that's when you're facing the temptation or you stop watching certain shows or movies because your mind begins to go places that you know it shouldn't or maybe your computer in your house needs to stay in a public place. Let's say it's a different addiction. Maybe you need to quit being around certain individuals and groups because that's when you feel tempted to jump into those things. Or maybe you need to give yourself a budget or only use cash. Or maybe there's a certain time limit that you need to give yourself. Like, I don't know if you've gone around ever telling people that you binge watch you know, shows or Netflix or whatever. Do you realize that that's not actually a healthy term? And like, if we do this over and over again, like, that is not anything healthy. Like, even this idea of phones... How many notifications do you have that like blink something? 
would you consider turning some of those off? Do you really need to know when the newest weather change is coming up or whatever? Like these things, when a notification comes up, we're drawn there. And how much life do we miss out on because of just not setting boundaries? Like Jesus, knowing that sin was destructive, he wouldn't have ever said, don't worry about it. Like just, just keep doing what you're doing. He never would have done that. It is true in John chapter 8, he tells the woman at the well, you're not condemned from your sin. But he then tells her, but go and sin no more. And so especially if you're deeper into an addiction, understand that what I'm telling you here is not the end-all fix, but it will help you stay out of certain habits and situations that will simply cause you to make a choice out of a reflex instead of a conscious thought. And that in and of itself will begin to rewire your brain. Okay, as we're talking about addictions, here's also what I want you to look at. Look at the why, okay? Why am I choosing to do this? Ask that question, what need is it filling? Because often, addictions are being used to cover up some kind of pain in our life, or you're just trying to survive. And so maybe in your life, there was some kind of trauma. And I say that because it could be something big, or it could be something even as small as a comment that someone else made to you. Oh, but you just keep playing that in your mind over and over and over again. And so because of those things, we want to numb ourselves. We want to numb the situation. We want to stuff it in a box and act like it never even happened. And so because of that, we become addicted to something else in that place. Sometimes the why is because we want to be in control. There was some situation that happened in our life that we were not in control. And so in this situation, if I can be in the one that's in control, then I'm going to take it, even if it's destructive to me. Like sometimes the why is I need to fit in. I need to be accepted. And so I'm going to do whatever it takes so that other people will like me. Or sometimes the why is not other people. It's I need to like myself. Like did you know now that there's actually a term for people who are seeking surgeries so that they can look like Snapchat filters? Like they're looking at themselves and they're like, I'm not good enough. And so now they're seeking out these surgeries to be able to do that. Like that's crazy to me, talking about what need do they have that is not being met, that they're listening to. Or even this idea of I deserve. Sometimes that's the reason we get stuck in an addiction because someone else is not doing something so I'm gonna go out and do something else to achieve whatever it is I want. Or it's not fair that someone else is getting paid the same amount for the exact same work so I'm gonna do something about it. Or this idea that I need to get the praise that I am due. And so I'm gonna do whatever it is, and that could be addictive behavior, but all these things, there's a why behind whatever it is you're doing. In and of itself, figuring out the why doesn't fix the situation, but it does help you understand the hurt or the emptiness that maybe you're trying to fill in an unhealthy way. And maybe then you can begin to look for healthy ways to meet that need which again will physically change the brain connection and the dopamine releases. This next area emphasis is pretty close to what we just talked about, but with addictions, what lie am I listening to? What lie am I listening to? Like sin almost always promises something greater than its result. And maybe there's a temporary numbness or a temporary happiness or a temporary popularity, but after the hype is gone, like what really is still there? And sometimes the lie is that this substance or this action, it's only a temporary dependence. Like, it's just going to help me through this situation once. Except then, I look and it comes again and again and again. I remember a few years ago at CIY, we looked at this idea of depression and suicide, and they did this story in an illustration that I've heard since then, but talks about how each one of us has kind of like these two wolves inside of us. And one is 
the good wolf, one is the bad wolf. And the question is, which one are we feeding? Because often the one that we feed is the one that is stronger, that takes hold in our lives. And so the question is, am I feeding the wolf of lies and deception and things that are not true or the one that is healthy? Which one am I feeding? You know, back on that social dilemma video that I watched, it talked about the number of teenage girls admitted to hospitals, even for cutting, okay, for cutting over the last 10 years versus the 10 years before that is immensely higher. In fact, in ages 15 and up, the numbers have gone up 62%. In the ages of 10 through 14, the numbers went up 189%. Okay, so then let's not even talk about cutting. Let's talk about suicide. Okay, in that 15 and above, numbers went up 70%. And in that 10 to 14 range, 151% from 10 years earlier. And maybe you're even going, why? Do you realize that's the first group that got on social media in middle school? You want to talk about lies that maybe people are listening to. You know what? The lie may simply need just be, I need this. And so that's what I hear, and so I'm going to meet the need. You know what, no matter what the lie is, though, whenever Jesus was alive, he confronted sin, he confronted lies with truth. And if you think, you know what, my addiction, it's no big deal because I know that Jesus offers me forgiveness, it is true that he does that. But listen to Paul in Romans 6, 1 and 2. He says, well, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Like he's saying, you know what? With sin, God does not want you purposely sinning with the agenda of just going, God, will you forgive me now? Like that's not what he came to die for. In fact, in Romans 7, he talks about the struggle. Oh, of not doing what I want to do. Oh, but what I want to do, I don't do. And he says the struggle is real. And so we need to realize the lies that lead us to sin or continual sin. They are a big deal. In fact, James chapter 1 says they lead to death. No lie is worth dying for. Is what you focus on, is what you feed yourself, is what you morph your brain with. Like, are they the things of truth or of lies? Because it really does affect how you live. Here's the fifth thing as we're talking about addictions. Who are you hurting? Who are you hurting? You know, in the moment, because we want that good feeling, we often don't think about who we hurt or we rationalize it, or we minimize it, or we just decide that the high is more important. But if you have an area of addiction, then I want you to take a look and find out who is this hurting. Like, it may simply be yourself, okay? It might be yourself that physically or mentally, or maybe you're bringing unneeded stress upon yourself, and so you are the primary recipient as far as feeling just the destructiveness of the addictive behavior. But maybe it's friendships, And all of a sudden, some of your friends don't want to be around you or they don't want to be associated with you or you look back and a lot of your good friendships have actually been cut off. Maybe you're in a boyfriend or girlfriend relationship and it's sabotaging something that's good or it's bringing them down, like the standards you guys once had are not there anymore. Or maybe the relationship comes to an end all because of the addiction. Or maybe the person who's feeling it is your spouse. Like we make this promise to live in the good and the bad How much is your spouse living in the bad just because of the addiction? And so they see the struggle. They feel the struggle. There's money involved in this that they're having to feel, the time investment, maybe even just a lack of enjoyment because of what the addiction is bringing to the marriage. Maybe the person who's feeling it is one of your kids or all your kids. Like maybe because of the addiction, it's making it hard to be a really good parent It's making it hard to be a good example for them. Or maybe there's even a reputation that you have that now they have to live with. 
And again, sin often tries to make us think that it doesn't hurt anyone, but that's a lie. You know what? One tool that some people use to help them is if this area of situation is where I'm tempted, I'm going to put a picture up of those that I'm hurting, so at least it's a reminder to me before I make that decision that if I do this, it might hurt them. Again, again, not the fix-all, but just, again, one of these things to help. And part of the steps processes is to apologize someone, apologize to someone that you've hurt. And so if that is something that can help one of your relationships, like you're thinking about this addictive behavior, could I encourage you? Don't put that off like, okay, I'll talk to them next week or next month or when I feel confident. Like if you've hurt someone, why don't you begin that conversation today? Like call them, have a face-to-face conversation and let the healing begin. Who have you hurt? Here's the sixth thing about addictions. You need community. Right? You need community. You cannot find healthy alone. Let me repeat that again. You cannot find healthy alone. It's part of the reason why we did the Anchor series before we talked about the storms. And so, so many people, they try to overcome things by themselves and they fail because Satan wants you either, one, to think you're the only one struggling with something or that you're strong enough to handle it by yourself. But if he can pull you away from the pack, then you are an easier target. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. You see, there has been a community that has gone on before us, and there is a community right now that wants to help. And so let's tackle these things together. And that's why we do things like the Conquer series right now, where men are talking about some of this even brain stuff to a deeper level than what I mentioned, or things like Celebrate Recovery, or there's AA groups. So you're not doing it by yourself. For some people, the the community they need is they go and see a Christian counselor, someone to be able to help me. It's not weird, but it's a tool that God can use to help me through the circumstances that I'm at. And could I encourage you to make sure that person is a Christian, that they have a Christian worldview? Sometimes the community that you need is actually a medical professional because whatever addiction it is, your body literally needs to be able to take steps down. You can't just cold turkey it. And so you need someone to come alongside that can help you to be able to get rid of this addiction. The community you may need is true friends. And I mean true friends, not just through technology because that isolates so many people, but this idea of conversations and not just true friends, but the right community. You see, in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, do not be dis- misled. Bad company corrupts good character. We have to have the right community around us to be able to stand strong. And with those friends, will we confess our sin, our addiction? Will we bring it into the light? James 5, 16 says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. It says, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Come together, lift us up to God. And can I also address family members of someone who is going through an addiction? Because just like they, you also need community. You don't need to walk through this by yourself. You have felt a very real emotional toll, whether that's physical or social or spiritual. And you shouldn't have to do this by yourself. In fact, that's why there's even a group here meeting right now called Finding Hope. The whole purpose is for people who have someone in their family that had an addiction or continues to have addiction. Or there's one group that even they lost their family member because of that addiction. And they're meeting together to be able to walk through life together. 
or we even have Stephen's ministers at this church. You know, last week Rick talked about grief, and sometimes it can be hard to know what I need in the moment. And so maybe you simply just need someone to listen to you. And so, man, if that's you, I'd encourage you to contact the office. Let us help you with this area. But God created us for community, and to be healthy, you need community. Here's the seventh thing I would tell you with addictions, is that sin is not your identity. Sin is not your identity. So many times when we struggle with an addiction, we actually define ourselves by that sin. And that is opposite of what God's word tells us. Like, yes, that sin is a vulnerability to you, but it is not your identity. It is a hurt. It is a habit. It is a hang-up. But it is not you. Scripture teaches that when we choose Jesus, we become a new creation. We are a child of God. We are referred to as a saint, not a sinner. It doesn't mean that we never sin anymore, but that is not how we are defined. And if this area is a struggle for you, man, could I encourage you to plaster verses about who you are in Christ all over your house and on the mirrors and in your car and on your phone so that you can listen to the voice of truth as opposed to those other voices that want to pull you down. In church, I think I need to take this time to remind everyone that none of us are perfect. None of us are perfect. We all have our struggles to different levels, and may we never be the person looking at someone with a speck with a plank in our own eye. May we never look down on a person because they are an addict of something. May we never devalue someone because of their struggle or their sin. Like There's a place to deal with sin, absolutely, but everyone special to God. Like even when Jesus was frustrated with the sin of someone, it did not drop the value or the worth of that person. And so may our hearts see every single person who walks through these doors, or may we see everyone that we come in contact with throughout the week. May we see who they are and who they can become. May we see their hurts and their sin, and their brokenness, and truly desire to introduce them to the one that can bring them real life, who can take away their sin, who can heal them, and give them that new identity. Whether you're the one struggling with an addiction, or you interact with that person, understand this huge importance that sin is not your identity. And so here's the last one. Addictions. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. As powerful as an addiction may be for you, Jesus is more powerful. Like He can help you overcome that addiction. In John 16, verse 33, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. He said that the worst that Satan could throw at him could not keep him down. And with his help, it will not keep us down either. First John 5, 4, it says, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith, because Jesus is greater. And so there are stories where Jesus comes in and he heals immediately of their addictions that I mentioned a while ago. Oh, but there's a lot of us that he gives strength to every single day to be able to fight against that temptation. And understand this, everything that I've told you, even though I've given you these steps and things to think about with addictions, it is not just about trying harder. It's not just about trying harder. If you try to do this on your own strength, you will fall in certain areas, and then what happens is you bring shame upon yourself again. That's just naturally what we do. Instead, this has to become the work of God. 
It has to become the work of God. As you focus on him, as you focus on who he is and who you are in him, scientifically, your brain creates new pathways and new connections and your reflexes in those circumstances will change because of God and because of your obedience to him. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Colossians 3.2, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. One of the prayers of my devotion I read this week simply said, make heaven more real than any earthly thing has ever been. God, help me just to see that which is real. And God wants to rewire our brains to forgiveness and joy and love and acceptance and peace. And so may we focus on the things of Jesus. Even more than that, may we focus on Jesus and let him do the work. And let me tell you this too, if you fall in your fight with addiction, all right, if you fall, might I remind you that even though an individual battle may look bleak, the war is already won. The war is already won. We know who has the victory. We know him who is the victory. Our God is a redemptive God and nothing can stand in his way of bringing you back to him as long as you choose him. You see, Jesus died on that cross to make a way. He defeated death. He has conquered sin. And we can have connection with him. We can have our identity in him. He gives us a peace that no one else can, a hope that no one else can. He gives us strength that no one else can because his death gave us life. And so we should celebrate him for his love and let us live in the freedom, not in the shackles of the chains, but let us live in the freedom because he has made us new. That is what life is. And addictions are real. I'm not minimalizing that. They're strong. But our God is greater. And so if you need someone to pray with, because it's a heavy topic, man, our prayer room is open here, not just during the song, but for the rest of the service. If you want to talk about, man, I need the freedom that Jesus offers because I have been chained and I have been a slave for so long. I don't want that anymore. Then we want to talk with you because we want you to experience the freedom. But if either of those things are what you need, then go to the prayer room. The rest of us, we are going to sing to the one who gave us the freedom that we get to live in because sin no longer has power over us. Let's stand and sing.